This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, December 21st, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour. And today marks the first day of winter, which means, what, just a few days away from Christmas and then New Year's and then longer days, right? Uh, we get longer days from here on out, thankfully. And we we have a lot of news today uh, in regards to the stimulus. Uh, it was kind of a buy the rumor, sell the news type of event, at least uh, today, uh, right? That was kind of the market reaction. And there's this is, was a slimmed down bill. Uh, and the House is already talking about the next session of Congress post the inauguration that they'll go back to the table, maybe pass something uh, even bigger, hopefully, uh, in their mind at least. And that was really the, the big news over the weekend. We have well, about a half a million or so people in the U.S. have received the vaccine so far. And it's just starting to roll out. Unfortunately, it looks like there's a new strain of the virus in the UK that's uh, definitely spooking investors a bit and just adding to the uncertainty of 2020. And we know this year is just uh, it's a different year, the most different year of my life, that's for sure, and I'm sure yours. And the uncertainty that still kind of hangs over uh, the economy going into next year will be an important aspect to strategy and your decision making, the discipline you're going to need going into next year. And that means you need to be prepared for volatility, which certainly is likely next year, right? Uh, we're going to have another steady up three quarters like we've had over the last three, right? Second, third, and fourth quarter this year were pretty much smooth sailing. You had a little hiccup uh, late summer, September time frame, but besides that, it's been relatively easy. But we also know that there are dynamics that are shifting in the market, right? Commodities doing better, the dollar being down dramatically, interest rates rising, inflation expectations rising. All these are important because they all will feed into markets, continue to feed into markets going into next year. So my goal on this show is to help you develop strategies And I'm going to do my best to provide you unbiased guidance and answers to your finance and investment questions. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your calls right now. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's check quickly in on the markets. 
We had the S&P down about 14 points. Pretty modest day, closed uh, relatively strong, near the highs of the day. And then the NASDAQ, that was down about 13 points. Another modest day, closed, modest down day, closed at the highs of the day, however. Small caps, those were down slightly as well. Russell, actually, Russell ended up flat, up 0.34 points, basically a flat day. So certainly much stronger than we were uh, overnight. You had commodities breaking. Silver had a pretty good day, definitely breaking out. Uh, it's, it's leading. It's leading gold, and I've said this many times, that when silver starts to outperform gold, you know you're in a very strong market for the precious metals. Uh, the dollar was up slightly, uh, and the 10-year, that was also about flat, down about uh, seven basis points. So, uh, sorry, about one basis point, excuse me. So, very modest uh, down day there. So, uh, not a, at the end of the day, after a lot of gyration throughout the day, in the morning, uh, we kind of had a, a do-nothing day. Uh, really, the most bullish was certainly for uh, commodities, and I think the market's still digesting this stimulus package, uh, certainly an overbought, uh, euphoric phase that we're in, but that can last a little bit longer. It doesn't have to end immediately. I do think it ends in January at some point, but not ending quite yet. So that's the market today. Now, as you can hear, I have a information-packed podcast for you today, so let's get right to our first caller at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I got a quick question. I've had a very blessed year in my IRA, and I've brought it up three and a half times the value since March. I'm looking to go maybe a little more reserved, and so I was wondering what you guys thought about REITs, such as IVR or MORT, the Real Estate Investment Trust. Thank you so much. Uh, IVR, I'm sure. Is it IBR? IVR, oh, okay, IVR, yeah, Invesco. Uh, that is, let me just bring this up here. I see, Invesco Mortgage Capital. Now, you're looking at mortgage REITs here. Uh, and mortgage REITs are, are certainly a different type of REIT. Right there, there's a lot of different types of REITs. REITs are not all treated equal. They're, it's a subsector of the market that uh, can vary widely. Right from industrial REITs that are focused on uh, uh, warehouses, for example. Uh, there are commercial REITs that uh, own office buildings. There are ones that are focused on healthcare, either healthcare-related facilities or Retirement homes, nursing homes. Uh, there are ones that own real estate in relation to the cloud and uh, and cloud server farms, right? Uh, and, and I'm just those are just a handful, and there's others as well. And you're talking about mortgage REITs, and that's where you're going to get certainly uh, um, more yield, definitely more yield than you're going to get out of the the normal market. Uh, but you're looking at IVR, which is an individual REIT, and they own residential mortgage-backed securities, commercial mortgage-backed securities, uh, so they're, they're a little bit diversified. Whereas MORT, that is a REIT ETF, okay? And so you're going to get more diversity. You're going to get a lot of different types of mortgage REITs in there, right? The mortgage REITs have sub uh, types as well, right? Ones that are only focused on commercial mortgage-backed securities, others focused on residential. Others may be industrial. Others focused on just Fannie and Freddie mortgages, right? 
ones that are backed by the government. So that's a, that's a question you have to, to ask yourself as well, is do you want to create broad diversification with this uh, MORT, right, yields about 10%, but is also going to be very sensitive to interest rates, right? And it's actually pretty sensitive to interest rates going up, especially short term, right? Because it's kind of like a bank in that way. It's kind of like a bank where they borrow short, right, very low interest rates, and they lend in the mortgage market long, right, and, but it's a very specialized bank. But if short-term rates go up, their cost of funding goes up, that suddenly is going to hurt their net interest margins, right, because they're holding these REITs or the, these mortgage-backed securities that have a certain interest rate, maybe 3 4 5%, and if interest rates go up, they're going to start to have their margins come down. Now, in an environment where the Fed is going to be keeping rates low, it's probably a good thing, right? But what happens if, I'm just giving you the, the risks here, if, for example, the, the economy gets too hot because of stimulus, inflation starts going up dramatically because of all the money printing, the dollar keeps going down, and suddenly the Fed, instead of staying ultra loose, uh, they start getting a little tighter, right? Maybe continuing to finance the government through QE, etc., but raising the Fed funds rate, for example. Uh, so that's where you get into trouble here. But if I'm buying one, I'd probably buy the broader basket because you have that diversification. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. So if you have finance and investment questions, I'm ready to answer them. Or you can always leave a message on our 24-hour listener line, and we will answer them on a future show. Now, your participation is an important part of the mix, so give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Christmas will be here soon. The start of a new year promises many changes. For investors, the challenge will be how to stay focused on maintaining your assets while navigating market volatility. That's where Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help. The phone lines are open and waiting for your questions now. 888-99-CHART. All right, let's go to Emilio's in San Francisco. He's looking at W-I-S-H, which is Wish.com, although it's called Connext Logic currently. Uh, recent IPO here. Uh, you own it or are you looking to buy it? Uh, I'm looking to buy it, Justin. I know that you guys don't like when uh, I understand the rule. I've been listening to you for years that you don't like an IPO yet uh, because you want to see it establish uh, earnings and so forth. I'm just thinking that because it's competing with Amazon see what you think well I you're right I don't love uh, recent IPOs especially as long-term investments typically they go out at uh, unfavorable long-term prices now wish uh, still has never made money even though it looks like trailing till months they finally came to free cash flow and are operating positive but only free cash flow of 2 million trailing 12 months. You're talking about a 13, almost $14 billion market cap here. And 
you know, I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with them because I'm a Lakers season ticket holder and they're actually a big sponsor for the Lakers wish. And I had never heard of them when they became a sponsor a few years ago. Uh, but from what I've seen, they, they just sell a lot of low price, the, you know, Chinese made goods, uh, that from what I understand, I don't see a lot of great competitive advantages here. Uh, especially if you have higher tariffs and more uh, protectionist policies, which I do see coming down the line uh, going forward, even post-Trump administration. I think it's a bipartisan issue. You know, I I would pass on this. Uh, I just don't see any economic moat. Uh, the profitability is weak. The, the valuation is very high. I think what you're looking at, though, are, are other... What, what, what we're focused on, we actually recently bought one for clients, is a more niche online uh, retailer, right? That's focused on a particular sub-segment of the consumer population, right? Whereas this, Wish kind of sells a lot of everything, same way that Amazon does. Uh, what, to me, I'm looking for going forward on the retail landscape are companies that uh, have more curation, right? Where their consumers return because they know they're going to find great items, right? That they don't have to do a ton of searching and, and know exactly what they want. They can, they can go there, they can browse, kind of like they do in store, right? You go to a store, your favorite store, because you know they typically have good items and you can find uh, something you really, really like. And I think that's the future of the great companies in online retail, or, retail are those that can curate great items that can lead their customers to things that they're going to love and that's going to get them to return to that website or that particular app and I don't see Wish doing that to be honest with you so I'm certainly passing on it but that's my that that's the way we're looking at these retailers online retailers other than Amazon that can be more specialized thanks for the call Emilius now, my focus point today concerns the story, home flipping profits are at the highest in 20 years. Is it too late for you to get into the action? We're going to talk about that industry and what the recent trends have been. Also, recent legislation on Bitcoin. We're going to discuss that. Small businesses and how they've been uh, it treated, I guess you could say, by, by big banks and, and lending. And then lastly, infrastructure spending and what that may look like going forward. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and your participation is an important part of the mix. And we're ready to take your calls live at 888 chart Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Eight eight ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Now. I do not make a habit of going into lots of detail, but I do think you should be aware of how Steve and I operate and how we work with uh, with clients, with uh, our listeners through our company, KP Financial. We are based in Irvine, California, and we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. And what that means is we provide unbiased guidance each and every day 
on air as well as off air in office as well as we practice parallel investing meaning we invest right alongside our clients so if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone skype drive meetings etc you can sign up through investtalk.com or you can always give our office a call at 800-557-5461 obviously there's no obligation we would love to help you now i like to fit in as many caller questions as possible so let's grab one more from 888 chart hi steven justin it's steve osier calling from new hampshire love the show just had a quick question about Roth 401k contributions inside my employer plan. So when it comes time to take those contributions out, typically how does that work? Because obviously I have traditional and then I also have the Roth contribution inside my 401k. So I'm just curious if you guys can fill me in on, on generally how that process works. So I really appreciate it. I look forward to the answer on the podcast. Thanks. Well, I'm assuming you're talking about getting the money out of your employer uh, first off. So if you do leave uh, or you hit 59 and a half and you can do an in-service rollover, then you would roll. You would open an IRA and a Roth IRA, and you would roll the uh, the pre-tax one, uh, 401k, into your IRA, and your post-tax, the Roth portion, uh, over into a Roth IRA. So uh, it's pretty simple. You want to make sure those are separate, and, and uh, I'm sure your uh, your 401k provider is going to keep those separate. And it's up to you after that to, to make sure that they're separate. And when you take money out, uh, then what that does, it gives you the ability to pick and choose when you want to take that money out, depending on your tax situation. So in retirement, say you're in a high tax bracket for whatever reason. Maybe it's the year you do retire and you're still making a good amount of money and you're, uh, you're, you know, you retire uh, maybe halfway through the year, for example, uh, and you're in a decently high tax bracket. Then you can take money out of your Roth IRA and not add to your taxable income for that year. But let's say you're five years in retirement, six years in retirement, you don't have a lot of other income besides maybe Social Security. Uh, maybe you have a pension or something, and you're in a low tax bracket, then you can say, okay, I'm going to take money out of, my, out of my IRA or even do a Roth conversion uh, into your, your Roth. And that's a, a strategy to think about as well. So uh, that's more of a question for your tax professional, your CPA, to kind of guide you on the most tax-efficient way to take that distribution in retirement. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today concerns the story home flipping profits are the highest in 20 years. Now, what's interesting is this is data coming from over 57,000 single-family home and condominium flips here in the United States in the third quarter of this year, where they were sold in the third quarter of this year. And the profits are the highest level in 20 years. Now... Don't go rushing out and and saying, you know, I need to be flipping homes. So I'll tell you why in a minute. But what's interesting is that flippers represent about 5.1% of all homes sold during that quarter, which is actually down from 6.7% in the second quarter. But the profits rose from $69,000 to $73,766 in the third quarter. So from the second to the third quarter. And it was only $61,800 in the third quarter of last year, so up over $10,000 year over year. Now, the question is, are the prospects as good going forward as they have been over the past few months? And I'm definitely going to say no. 
few reasons. One, it's harder to buy, right? Uh, a lot of that, well, a lot of those ones that were sold, those were purchased well before the pandemic or before the pandemic, right? Before prices started taking off as people were moving out of big cities, etc. So you're taking a purchase price that's pre-pandemic and a sale price that's six months into the pandemic plus, right? In a very hot environment where interest rates drop dramatically. And so when you're flipping a home, first you have to understand it's not to be taken lightly. These most, I'm sure the vast majority of these 50 plus thousand flips were done by people that have done it before, right? That have experience, that have contractors, that know what could go wrong, that know city code, that, that can really deal with the headaches that can be involved with flipping a home. And then the question is, what about the future, right? Uh, well, a big part of the profits in flipping home is just the price appreciation of housing over that period of time, six months, nine months, a year, that it takes to review a home. And a big benefit to the housing market over the past year has been lower and lower mortgage rates, now sub 3%. And so we don't have that tailwind going forward. In fact, it looks like rates are, start, are, are trying to break out to the upside. So even though, remember, don't chase returns. Don't look back and say, okay, that's what's going to happen over the next six months, nine months. It's going to be a very different market going forward, and all the charts are telling me that. Now I'm ready to take your call. I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. 
As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, this story. Wall Street analysts have dared to make a big call for the S&P 500 in 2021, but investors should know that market history proves it is difficult to accurately predict the future. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, let's take a live call from Will in San Diego, looking at GHC, which is Graham Holdings. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I'm, I'm considering it. First of all, I'd like to say condolences on the passing of your grandfather. I used to attend his seminars down here in La Jolla years ago. Appreciate that. And, uh, so he's sorely, sorely missed. He anyway, I'm is. considering Graham Holdings. It was, it's recommended by Barron's as one mm-hmm. of their stock picks for 2021. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Let's look at Graham Holdings. This is a diversified education and media can you tell me what Barron's thesis was? I read that particular article. What, what Bar- it was on the December 21st, the latest issue of Barron's. Mm-hmm. But you, it sounds like you read the article. What was their thesis around uh, the reason that it was a, a buy? Well, it's, they call it a mini Berkshire Hathaway. In other words, they've got their fingers in a lot of different pies here. And uh, and the stock is down some 27% for the year, and mm-hmm. the PE is is a little bit low. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it it looks like it's basically diversified over uh, a number of different businesses. So yeah. So piece. yeah. So if you look at their return equity over the long term, their profitability metrics. They kind of ebb and flow, uh, not that consistent. I'd say it averages somewhere in the high single digits, digits, which is not spectacular. I'll say that. Now, they do have pretty consistent free cash flow, uh, but it's also not really growing, right? This is not a big grower. Uh, it made $29 a share in 2013. 
It had a high 2018 of 48.50, but last year, pre-pandemic, they only made $33.80 a share. So that's, it shows me that you know, over the long term, it's not that strong of a grower. The profitability isn't that strong. Uh, what I do like is that they are taking their free cash flow and they're buying back shares. Nine million shares outstanding in 2010, now down to about five million shares outstanding. So, uh, and it yields uh, about 1.2 percent. So, very shareholder friendly uh, activity there, which I like. Uh, although it's like I said, not the most profitable name. Now the chart is, I like the chart. Uh, it's finally above its 200-day moving average. It's consolidating bullishly and just starting to break out. I'm sure a lot of that breakout has to do with that Barron's article. There's typically a pop when those type of things happen. Um, now, it's in the education space, right? Uh, Kaplan education is test prep and, and uh, things like that. It's a big part of their business. They have television broadcasting, also home health, uh, hospice services, manufacturing. So it is diversified in that way. So I like that. So, you know, I definitely don't dislike it, uh, but I don't, I'm not in love with it, especially because of that low level of growth, that modest profitability picture. But I like the shareholder friendly activity, like I said, buying back shares, paying a decent dividend. Uh, and it looks like they're growing it over time. Yeah, actually, that's been shrinking. The dividend uh, has been shrinking over time, which is uh, kind of interesting. Um, so once again, I don't love it, but eh, I give it a, a thumbs up. A lot of it has to do with that chart. The chart is pretty solid and I think has a lot more upside technically. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278. We have about... 20 minutes left in the show, so I encourage you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, let's turn to a recent news article, and this was a plan unveiled just on Friday, and this is by the Treasury Department, and it's going to require some cryptocurrency traders to provide information about their identities. And the goal is to curb anonymous transfers of money and they're staying by criminals. That's what they're trying to curb. And the goal of this is to hold entities that transact in cryptocurrencies to the same standards required by traditional financial institutions. Now, to me, this is the first shot across the bow. And this is one of my biggest worries when it comes to cryptocurrency. And I've said, I have a small position just in case, but I have a lot of reservations about the long-term, at least the near-term trajectory of it, right? Because I think the crypto evolution, we call it revolution, I think it's going to be a revolution, it's the evolution of the revolution, say that, over the next 30, 40, 50 years, is going to be marked by more government involvement. So it's for governments are not going to sit idly by and allow the cryptocurrency space to grow unregulated, right? Without their say, right? They have the monopoly on printing money, creating currencies, creating new money and units of account. Okay? It's really what the dollar is. It's a unit of account. And 
they want to make sure that their interests are served, right? And that is to maintain power, maintain control. That's not like a conspiracy thing, but that's just what governments do, right? And so while cryptocurrency lives out in the ether, in order to use currencies or use anything that is backed by a cryptocurrency, right? Talk about a base layer and a transaction layer on top of that. They have to operate in the physical world. And who controls the physical world? Governments. Governments can enact whatever policies they want to pass. Right? And so, don't think that this is a one-off. This is the beginning. Now, what they're trying to crack down are unhosted wallets. Now, these aren't accounts that are you know, held at Coinbase or some of the other cryptocurrency trading platforms, right? Because you have to put your identity. They usually collect customers' identity in that case, right? Unhosted wallets are, don't have a person's name or phone number or address associated with that particular account. Usually these are held on hard drives or on thumb drives, right? And the worry is that this is how criminals are passing value back and forth across borders, between each other, and doing so without governments seeing what's going on. And this has been a worry of the cryptocurrency space overall. And the Treasury Department said banks and cryptocurrency trading platforms would have to keep records of customer currency transactions and counterparties for any, any transactions exceeding $3,000. Now, it's unclear will this, whether this is going to get passed before the Joe Biden administration starts on January 20th. But a lot of lobbying has uh, resulted in a letter to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, signed by four Republican congressmen. And they urged him to consult with Congress and industry stakeholders before taking any decisive action. So they're trying to stave off this regulation until there's uh, more seats at the table, shall we say, from their, uh, their industry, right, the cryptocurrency industry, the blockchain industry. And I, I do think this is going to be passed at some point, maybe in a different form, but be aware, government's coming. Don't think that the cryptocurrency is going to be able to, space is going to be able to grow without government eyes on it. Now let's keep the flow moving and go straight back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for questions that came in earlier from Atlanta on 8899 chart. Hi, Justin. It's Prasad from Atlanta. I really enjoy your show. Thanks a lot. Quick question on an ETF dealing with equity premium income approach. This is a J.P. Morgan Exchange Traded Fund Equity Premium Income, symbol J-E-P-I. Want to get your thoughts on this um, investment widget. Thank you. All right, this is J-E-P-I. It looks like it is a closed-end fund. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to figure out the strategy here. A lot of these closed-end funds, they have a particular strategy and trying to, from just bringing up their particular uh, profile, it's hard to discern exactly what this strategy is. You're obviously chasing that dividend 
yield, 30-day SEC, SEC yield of 13%. Uh, I wonder if this is it a is it a covered call strategy? Hmm. I would really have to dig into this to understand the strategy. Accenture is its top pick or top holding. The Microsoft Alphabet, Honeywell. So certainly S and P 500 names. Hmm. I just don't understand what exactly their strategy is. So maybe you can. Yeah, it's an option-based strategy. It might be a cover call strategy. That's probably what it is. We run a cover call strategy. It's uh, called Equity Income Plus. Uh, you know, I really like cover call strategies. I'm going to assume that's what this is based on what I'm seeing. Uh, and I like that. This is pretty low volume, though. Uh, very short history. It only came out uh, middle of this year. came out in, in May. And it's up about 10% mm, or so since then, which is... Uh, isn't terrible, but uh, considering the market rally, not not too fantastic. Uh, so I would be a little weary of this. I'd like to see what type of uh, leverage they have, etc. I like the strategy overall in general, but it is pretty low uh, low volume, and I'd like a little more history too to see how well this particular strategy performs. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to explore the financial and investment information we have posted on our website, investtalk.com. You can learn more about our various investment strategy opportunities that we offer through KPP Financial. For example, like I just said, Equity Income Plus. It's dividend investing with a boost. Holds dividend paying stocks and then adds an extra boost of income by writing those covered calls position on those positions. Now, if you're serious about achieving financial freedom, I want to reach out, and you want to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KP Financial Offices in Irvine, California, you can call 800-557-5461 or just head over to our website, investtalk.com. But now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. You can get your free InvestTalk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast, and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The Anytime Listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Carl calling from Ohio. Got a question about health savings account. My company allows me to invest in my HSA into stocks once I have $1,000 in there. Being an account that I can't access except for medical bills, is there any different strategy you use for what type of stock to pick for these? Also, can you talk a little bit about some people use the HSA as a uh, secondary retirement account? I did a little research and couldn't find the specifics on how that works. Look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Well, for your latter comment, uh, it can be kind of a secondary retirement account because it's tax deferred, right? So you can keep it in there and you're not paying taxes on those gains and, and that's growing over time. And then once you get to retirement, uh, you're obviously going to have more and more uh, medical expenses as you age, unfortunately. And then that's when you can you can draw on that money. And so it, it is, uh, in a way, it can be a secondary uh, retirement account because otherwise, if you didn't have that money, you're going to be taking out of that out of your retirement account. So uh, certainly something to consider. Uh, now, when it comes to your investment strategy, 
I wouldn't say there's a whole lot, especially if you're younger, right? Because uh, you have to look at time horizon. And if you're younger, you, you don't plan to have a lot of medical expenses in the near term. Maybe you do for whatever reason. Maybe your wife's pregnant or who knows, right? Uh, but if I would leave that chunk aside. Anything that you feel like you're going to need to spend over the next year, two years, maybe you put that part of the HSA into a more conservative, maybe ETF, for example, right? That maybe has some fixed income assets, maybe it's a mix, uh, something that is not going to be quite as volatile, maybe a short-term corporate bond fund, for example, that type of thing. And then the money that you think you're going to not touch for at least five years, hopefully 10 years plus, then you invest that in equities and, and think more long-term with that. Okay. So that's the way I would think about it. And great question. And I do think those HSA plans are underrated, underutilized. So if any of you out there have the ability to save within an HSA, if your employer allows that, certainly try to take advantage of that when you can. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every day on Invest Talk is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Now is a good time to call InvestTalk. Do we have a disadvantage, us investors, on the West Coast as opposed to the people that are closer to the action? They're right there in New York. And what's your question? 888-99-CHART is how to reach Justin right now on InvestTalk. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Stephen from Lubbock, Texas. My question is about Gulfport Energy Corporation, G-P-O-R-Q. I bought a position in March when oil seemed to have hit its bottom. It did really well for part of the summer, and then it's kind of just been slowly falling apart. Now I got an email this last week saying that they've filed bankruptcy. It's shot up a couple times since then, and now it's going down today. At this point, I've lost 92%. Am I better off just holding on to it with hopes that they are able to restructure and I don't lose my money? Or do I just take what little I have left, sell it, and uh, move on? I'm just kind of curious what you guys would do in this situation. Look forward to hearing your answer. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Well, this is a great example of how uh, you always have to have your stops, and especially of companies that are uh, in an industry that's struggling and has a lot of debt. Right? And that is the issue here. And I've said this for the past six plus months now about the oil and gas space is, hey, stay away from the small players, the companies that uh, small, small revenue, limited assets, uh, stretched balance sheets, 
uh, because those are the companies that are going to go bankrupt. And the larger players that have more access to ca the capital markets, to banks, to, to, to borrow and get through to the other side of this energy cycle, those are going to be the winners. Uh, because they're going to pick up the assets of Gulfport Energy Corp. Now, yes, they are going to restructure most likely. Chapter 11, yes, so restructuring. And, but what that means is you are going to, your stake in Gulfport Energy is going to be a big fat donut most likely. Now, certainly things could change. They could, they could go to, uh, into uh, Chapter 11 and they could, some the, the total assets that uh, they have may be worth more than the claims, the debt claims, right? And there could be some payouts to shareholders, but 99% of the time, there's nothing. Okay, so now there's not much downside here, right? You're trading at six cents, where back in May it was trading at uh, $2.50. So, you know, maybe you want to take that chance. There's not a whole lot <laughs> that you could lose, now, you've already lost 98% of it, like I said. So maybe I would just hold on and hope that maybe something crazy happens. Maybe uh, some big oil name wants to come in and swoop up the assets and pay off the debt and, and give shareholders something. It's possible, uh, but unlikely. But this is a good example, like I said, of understanding what you buy, understanding the risks. And this is clearly a name that was not big enough, had too poor of a balance sheet, and that's why it filed for bankruptcy. Thanks for the call. Now let's close up with some news about small business lending. And unfortunately, small businesses are not getting the same love from banks anymore in this economic environment. And although about $525 billion in forgivable loans went to small businesses in the early days of the pandemic. Loans to them from big institutions have gone down dramatically. In 2007, banks held $721 billion in small loans to small businesses. And by 2019, that balance was down to $680 billion and has fallen even more uh, during the pandemic. And one of the big reasons is because community banks are disappearing. This is the main source of funding for local businesses. And the reason that this is happening is twofold. One, consolidation within industry, right? Big banks buying, buying the smaller ones. And bankers say it costs about the same to process an application for a loan to a large business as it does to a small business. And lenders are pulling back. They're tightening underwriting standards to these small businesses. And this is another reason why you're having this kind of K-shaped recovery, right? The bigger you are, the, the more assets you hold, the better this environment is for you. The tougher time you're having, the smaller you are, you're kind of being pushed down, down the rabbit hole, shall we say. Uh, so, unfortunately, that's the case. Hopefully, this new bill will even the playing field a little bit more, but I'm not that hopeful. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on. Oh, I'll return next week because Thursday is Christmas Eve, and we'll have some best of caller question podcasts for you lined up to close out the week. 
In the meantime, please remember you can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for re download anytime over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And you can always listen live and rate and review there as well. And you can listen live, excuse me, at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.